0: you're
1: listening to the coffee hour i'm andy bates
0: i'm sarah golseth
1: we get to dig into the scriptures we're searching the scriptures in the september issue of the lutheran witness today we'll do that with pastor askins in just a moment thanks to concordia university wisconsin for your support of the coffee hour find out more about concordia university wisconsin at cuw.edu
0: live uncommon
1: joining us in studio the reverend roy askins managing editor of the lutheran witness time to look at the september issue particularly searching the scriptures pastor askins welcome to the studio
2: thank you good to be back again
1: it is good to get to study god's word with you each month and uh this month we're, we're continuing the, the theme in the, the Creed, right?
2: That's correct. Today we are picking up, starting the third article of the Creed, which begins, I believe in the Holy Spirit. And uh, in fact, what's interesting about the Apostles' Creed is that's all we get on the Holy Spirit in the Apostles' Creed. From there we move into uh, further confessions of what we believe beyond that. But the, the confession of the Holy Spirit here is simply this phrase, I believe in the Holy Spirit, which we're going to dig into today.
0: Shall we start on the questions then?
2: Actually, before we start on the questions, if I can... Please do. Yeah, yeah. You so, have the floor. <laughs> we should talk briefly about the the explanation to the third article of the Creed by Martin mm-hmm. Luther, yes. just to kind of get us into this a bit. And why this is worth noting is because of what Martin Luther says when he talks about this confession. And so here's what, he, here's what the uh, th- explanation to the third article of the Creed says. Luther writes, I believe that I cannot by my own reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ my lord or come to him but the holy spirit has called me by the gospel enlightened me with his gifts sanctified and kept me in the true faith so i believe that i cannot believe by myself mm-hmm. uh, all of my belief my my uh, confession my faith my trust in jesus christ is a gift of the holy spirit that he gives me through his gifts and that's what we're going to spend pretty much the rest of this issue talk this um, searching scriptures talking about or what are these gifts and how does the holy spirit work through these gifts to bring about faith to call gather and enlighten us so with that introduction yeah let's start all
0: right here we go question one read matthew three thirteen to 17. identify all three persons of the holy trinity in this text how is the holy spirit pictured What does it mean for the Holy Spirit to rest in him? And what does it tell us about the Holy Spirit's work?
2: Okay, so let's dive into one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. Oh, boy. Yeah, so you thought this was going to be a short one,
1: but... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs>
2: it's never short. It's never short. <laughs> this one's going to be especially long. Uh, now, the baptism of Jesus, particularly in Matthew chapter 3. So then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he, that is John, consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were open to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Okay, so this is the text quick look at this text, we see some really fascinating things. Um, Jesus comes to John, and John recognizes, even though at this point he's he's still uh, waiting for this baptism and this revelation uh, of Jesus, he knows who Jesus is, and he says, he recognizes that Jesus doesn't need baptism, right? The rest of us need baptism for remission of our sins. John's looking at Jesus, you know, son of God, son of man, he's saying, I don't think you really need this. Why are you coming to me to be baptized? I need you to baptize me. And Jesus says, thus it is fitting for us to fulfill uh, all righteousness, that is to fulfill the will um, and direction of God. When Jesus enters into these waters of holy baptism, this is when we start to see the great exchange take place. He begins to bear the sins of the world. I I kind of like to, to, to describe this as Jesus' baptism is the opposite of ours. In our baptism, our sins are washed off of us and into the water. And Jesus is kind of like a sponge who takes our sins in that waters, that baptism, into himself and then bears them through his earthly ministry and then takes them to the cross and crucifies those sins there on the cross. Uh, And so the washing off of us onto Jesus and then his righteousness that he wins on the cross, uh, that's washed into the water and then onto us. So it's this great exchange where he takes our sin and gives us his righteousness. For him, that is how he... In that baptism, he's bestowing it, making those waters holy, and taking those sins uh, onto himself. So this is what's happening in the baptism. The heavens are opened, they are rent asunder, and the Spirit of God descends like a dove, and God speaks. So what do we see in here in this passage? Well, we can see all three persons. You see, of course, Jesus in the water. You see the Holy Spirit descending like a dove, and then the Father speaking and making an announcement, this is my beloved Son, Jesus Christ. So let's talk a little bit more, if I can, real quick, about the heavens being rent asunder. We see this in in several passages throughout the scriptures. Um, another one of my favorite books, Ezekiel chapter 1, actually begins with the heavens being opened and then Ezekiel seeing visions of God. And this is actually what's happening regularly. Whenever you see these heavens opening in some fashion, we're seeing a vision of God. So Ezekiel chapter 1, heavens open, he sees uh, God descending on the sapphire throne. John chapter 1, Jesus tells Um, Nathaniel, that he will see angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. You'll see the heavens opened and the angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Yet another revelation of Jesus Christ as Son of God and Son of Man. Even Stephen says in his his vision, he sees the heavens opened and the Son of Man, that is Jesus Christ, standing at the right hand of God. So when we see in the scriptures heavens being opened, we're seeing a revelation of God. And that's exactly what we're seeing here in this baptism, a revelation of the three persons of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, working to enact the salvation of mankind. Uh, through this baptism of jesus let's see did i cover all the questions there that we had in that one uh, and the Holy Spirit, oh, the Holy Spirit remaining on Jesus. I didn't talk about that one. So, <laughs> <laughs> I know, I used to, you thought it was going to be short. Matthew is pointing out that Jesus is this, this promised suffering servant that Isaiah foresees. So you see in Isaiah chapter 42 and Isaiah chapter uh, 61, God for, foretelling this servant that's going to come on whom his spirit is going to remain. So Isaiah chapter 42, verses one, behold, my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom I sold the lights, I have put my spirit upon him right and similar language also in isaiah chapter 61 and matthew is showing those who are reading this book this is the one jesus christ the spirit dwells on him uh, remains upon him he is the promised suffering messiah or suffering servant who will bear the sins uh, of israel
1: so now we're going to go back and question two we're going to go back to genesis chapter one and two what is the holy spirit's role in the creation of the world what is the connection between breath and spirit, and how does the account of the creation of man bear this out? So Genesis 1, to 1-2, and Genesis 2, 4-8. to
2: All right, so the creation of the world. Uh, this is a similar, we'll see similar um, aspect here where you see all three persons of the Trinity involved in this creation account. Uh, let's actually begin. In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light and there was light. So that's Genesis chapter one, verses one through actually three. And here we can see all three persons of the Trinity. Of course, God, the father creating the heavens and the earth, the Holy Spirit hovering over the face of the waters. And, of course, Jesus as the word of God through whom God creates. And God speaks and says, let there be light. And guess what? There's light. So you have the Holy Spirit here involved in this work of creation. If we look at Genesis chapter 2, verses 4 through 8, we can see... Uh, Part of how this creation takes place in the in the creation of man. So let's actually look at that passage, two verses four through eight. These are the generations of the heaven and the earth, and when they were created. In the day the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the earth and the heavens. When there was no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land. There was no man to work the ground, and a mist was going up from the land. It was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living creature. Okay. What does this have to do with the Holy Spirit? It doesn't seem like there's much to do here. Well, here's what's fascinating about this word breathed. I love this Mm -hmm. word breathe. Uh, breath and breathing are the same word as, as spirit uh, in the Old Testament. So you could almost translate this. This is going to be a bad idea, but I'm going to do it anyways. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and spirited into his nostrils the spirit of life. And man became a living creature. Okay, now this is wonderful when you start looking through the whole Old Testament, the whole scriptures, and seeing this combination of breathing and spirit taking place all throughout the scriptures. But one great example of this is actually Ezekiel chapter thirty-seven with the dry bones. You know, we we, we know the song, you know, dry bones, dry bones, right? Fantastic par- uh, parallel here with the whole, with the spirit because God actually tells Ezekiel to prophesy to the breath. He's actually prophesying to the spirit, to spirit on these sane, these, these dead and, and come to life to become living creatures. So what is the Holy Spirit doing here in the creation of mankind? What's he doing there in that, that vision in Ezekiel 37? The Holy Spirit is the one that comes and breathes life and gives life through his through his breath and through his living so uh, this fantastic passage uh, the spirit is the one that brings this life now this this connects then with our own baptism as we're going to talk about here in a minute the holy spirit is the one that breathes new life into us in the waters of baptism right it brings uh, the the old man is drowned in these waters the holy spirit then breathes new life into us by connecting us to this death and resurrection of jesus as we're going to talk about a little bit later
0: all right are we ready to move on
2: uh, did I get all the answers? I think I got all the questions there. I think so. Let's all right,
0: do it. all right. Question three before we go to break: Read John sixteen four through fifteen. Who sends the Holy Spirit, and what is the Holy Spirit's work?
2: All right. So Jesus uh, is talking here in John sixteen about the work of the Holy Spirit. Let's read this passage real quick. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you asks me where are you going, because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they did not believe me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged." I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak of his own authority. For what he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said to you that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Okay, so Jesus is talking to his disciples, teaching them about the work of the Holy Spirit here. Uh, The Holy Spirit, he also calls the helper, And he is the one who sends this helper, this Holy Spirit. He will, through his suffering and death, his return to the Father, when he talks about he's returning to the Father, he's not talking simply about going back to God, but going back to God through his suffering and death. And then he will send this Holy Spirit, he says, to convict the world of three things. This is the Holy Spirit's work, to convict the world concerning sin, concerning righteousness, and concerning judgment. Uh, Now, I have quite a bit here. Do you want me to do this after the break? Would you, that be okay? You can finish your thought. Okay, I can finish my thought. Okay, so he's concerning the word concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. He's going to convict the world concerning sin. This is the preaching of the law, right? As the people, as in order to cling to Jesus, to hear the gospel, we must first admit that we are sinful people. If we cannot see our sin, if we cannot recognize the law showing us that we are sinful people, we will not know our need for the Savior. We will not cling to, to his work for us. So he first convicts the world concerning sin through the preaching of the law. He's also going to convict the world concerning righteousness because I go to the Father, right? Once again, how is he going to the Father? He is going to the Father through the cross, through his suffering and death, through this message of forgiveness that he wins for us there on the cross. And therefore, he convicts... first. First of law, he convicts also of righteousness. So first, I'm a sinful. Second, that I am declared righteous in Jesus Christ when I have faith in him and trust in him. And finally, concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. That is, he has conquered Satan, and the Holy Spirit will show us, convict us, uh, proclaim to us that those who cling to Jesus do have nothing to fear of this wicked ruler, this this uh, the devil, right? He has been conquered and destroyed, and we have confidence in Jesus Christ because of this. And this is the Holy Spirit's work. This is effectively the church's message and proclamation to the world, right? That we are sinful people, that we need Jesus, and that he has conquered the world, the devil, and our sinful flesh for us and gives us new life. Now, I have a little bit more to say this, but I think we can get that after the break.
1: Amen. Amen. We're we're searching the scriptures in the September issue of the Lutheran Witness with the Reverend Roy Askins. We have more to search in the scriptures in just a moment. You're listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates.
0: I'm Sarah Goldseth.
1: You're a miracle. You know that, right? A living, breathing Welcome back to the Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates.
0: I'm Sarah Golseth.
1: We are searching the Scriptures in the September September issue of the Lutheran Witness with the Reverend Roy Askins. He's managing editor of the Lutheran Witness. All right, Pastor Askins, we've we've worked through questions one, two, and three. Anything else about three before we go on to question number four?
2: I do have a few. One more thing about question three, and we were talking about how the Holy Spirit through the procl- proclamation of 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 the church, convicts the world of sin, judgment, and righteousness, and he does this through the preaching and proclamation of God's word. Now, this is exactly what pastors preach from, right? They don't preach from their own minds, they don't preach from their own imaginations; they preach from the word of God. And the question then becomes, well, where does this word of God come from? And Jesus is also the one who sends the Holy Spirit to give us this word. In John chapter 14, verse 26, Jesus promises uh, Jesus promises his disciples the Holy Spirit. Uh, whom the Father will send in my name, he says, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. This is the promise of the New Testament that the Holy Spirit will be there with the apostles to inspire them and their writing so that they have these words to write for us and that God's pastors and his people can proclaim this message to the world. And it is through this proclamation then that the Holy Spirit works. Once again, returning to the third article of the Creed, I believe that I cannot by my own reason strength believe in Jesus Christ my Lord or come to him, but the Holy Spirit has called me by the gospel. Where is this found? Precisely in this word in the scriptures given to us by virtue of the Holy Spirit's work.
0: All right. Question four. Read Acts 2, 1 through 13, and then skim the rest of Acts 2, which we will not be doing on this show this morning. Did the Holy Spirit appear on the day of Pentecost? What does the Holy Spirit do on Pentecost? And see also Genesis eleven one to 9.
2: Uh, okay. We're not going to read all of Acts chapter 2. Let's just do the first four <laughs> verses. So uh, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. That is, all the disciples were together in one place. And suddenly there came a, uh, uh, from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting And divided tongues as of fire came, where I lost my place here, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And of course, many of you know how this goes. We have all these wonderful names, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and Mesopotamians and Judeans and Cappadocians and Pontians and Asians, Phrygians and Pamphylians, all these wonderful people hear the word of God proclaimed in their own language. And of course, what do they say? These men are obviously drunk, right? There's no way they could do. <laughs> this and Peter gets up and he preaches this amazing sermon. So w- what happens here? Well, the Holy Spirit comes and he appears as wind. Once again, we get this connection between spirit and breath and wind. It's all kind of the same, the same word group in in the Greek and the Hebrew. The Holy Spirit comes with this mighty rushing wind, divides in tongues of fire and fills these men so that they can do exactly what the Holy Spirit comes to do, that is to proclaim and point us to Jesus Christ and him crucified. Okay, And this is exactly what Peter does. If we look through the rest, as you skim through the rest of Acts chapter 2, look at Peter. Uh, Peter's sermon. He stands up and uh, he preaches to the people. They're not drunk, right? But this is actually a fulfillment of what Joel preached. And then he quotes Joel here and he says, in the last days, it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male and female servants. In those days, I will pour out my spirit. So Peter is pointing out to the, those people gathered, this is a fulfillment of God's prophecy in Joel, that his spirit will be poured out. Now, this is fully completed. We'll actually see in the in the next question when the, the people come to be baptized. And once again, they receive the gift of the Holy Spirit as well. But here uh, we see kind of the initial beginning of this as Peter gets up and preaches. Now, once again, what does he preach? Does he preach about the Holy Spirit? He doesn't actually preach about the Holy Spirit. He preaches about Jesus Christ. And this gives us a really Key understanding of the Holy Spirit and who the Holy Spirit is. Sometimes, and I don't know if this is a Lutheran thing or if other <laughs> churches do this too, we Lutherans do some weird stuff now and then, um, he, the Holy Spirit is called the shy person of the Trinity. In other words, his role is to point to Jesus Christ. He doesn't bring, uh, he doesn't point to himself, he points to who Jesus is and what Jesus is doing. And so we call him the shy person of the Trinity, right? This is exactly what we see here. The Holy Spirit is inspiring Peter to preach about Jesus and what Jesus jesus has done for the world and by this proclamation by this proclamation the holy spirit creates faith in those hearing and as we're going to find out in a bit in a minute a whole bunch of them come to faith and receive the holy spirit
1: all right we ready for question number five i think so i write a little church history here yes During the 1970s, many Lutheran churches struggled with charismatic theology, which claimed that the Holy Spirit poured out special gifts, such as speaking in untranslatable or gibberish tongues. Read Acts chapter 2, verses 37 to 41. According to St. Peter, where is the Holy Spirit poured out and what are the gifts given by the
2: Holy Spirit? So charismatic theology... um... This is seen primarily in a lot of contexts, I should say, when it's seen in this in the speaking of what they call speaking in tongues. And they tend to be, um, like like I mentioned here, untranslatable or gibberish tongues. Uh, Paul speaks elsewhere about if it can't be translated, it's not really a, uh, a gift of the Holy Spirit. The point is that this is to build up through the proclamation of the word. So, um, and this is uh, comes from a misinterpretation of these passage passages where we talk about the Holy Spirit. Uh, enabling the apostles in particular to speak in tongues but this is not what we see in acts chapter two they were not speaking in gibberish tongues they were actually speaking in the tongues of the people who were there who could hear and then believe what it was that saint peter was saying and so this is what happens when saint peter gets up and he preaches to all these people gathered all these pamphylians and phrygians and pontians and asians and all these people right i just love that part when on pentecost it's fantastic um when he does this, he pre- they preach in languages that these people can hear, and this is what happens. Acts chapter two, verse thirty-seven. And actually, I'm going to run through forty-two. Now, when they had heard this, they were cut to the heart, and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, "Brothers, what shall we do?" Peter said to them, "Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children, and all who are far off, every one whom our Lord God calls to Himself. And with many other words, he bore witness." and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Okay, so where is the Holy Spirit poured out? He is poured out in baptism, in the waters of baptism. 3,000 people were baptized that very day when they heard the Holy Spirit, were convicted of their sins, came to trust in Jesus, received baptism and the Holy Spirit. And then what do they do? They gather around the Holy Spirit's gifts, which are precisely the preaching of God's word and the breaking of the bread, that is the Lord's Supper. And then of course, uh, lifted up their voices in prayers to the Lord in thanksgiving for these gifts. So where is the Holy Spirit working? Not necessarily in special manifest, Stations that are glorious you know either untranslatable tongues or surprising things you know you see uh, for instance paul he gets bit by the snake and he throws the snake off i mean that'd be great but that's not primarily how the holy spirit works he's actually working in these normal ordinary mundane things of water and then bread and wine and words not super exciting stuff but it is the place where the holy spirit works uh to bring to bring faith and life
0: All right, we ready for the last question? I think so. All right, we have about three minutes left. (laughs) So we can do it. We can can do do it. it. Read Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. What does the Holy Spirit bestow upon the church?
2: So one of the other holy the other gifts of the Holy Spirit is the unity that we receive uh, in him through a shared confession of the faith. Let's read this passage in Ephesians chapter 4 to get an idea of this. I, therefore, Paul writes, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk on a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one one faith one baptism one god and father of all who is over all and through all and in all through the holy spirit's work of uniting us in the word and into jesus christ who is our head right Um, Through this work of the Holy Spirit, we are united first to Jesus Christ, into him, he is our head, we are his body, but then we are also united to one another. This is really important as we talk about uh, congregations, church bodies, fellow individual members. We have this fellowship as a gift of the Holy Spirit. It is not something we create. Uh, As the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, we don't create unity by virtue of signing documents, fellowship documents with other church bodies. We recognize that we are in fellowship with. With other church bodies. We recognize that we are in fellowship with fellow believers in Jesus Christ because we share the same confession given to us by the Holy Spirit in the proclamation of His Word. In other words, we teach the same thing about the Word of God, therefore we are united. If we don't teach the same thing about the Word of God, guess what? We're not united, right? Mm -hmm. So this unity is a gift given by the Holy Spirit, specifically in the teaching and preaching of his word. And where this takes place, there we are in fellowship with one another. And this is, he has this beautiful phrase in here, just another thing to think about and ponder. He talks about the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Uh, So first he begins by saying, I a prisoner. So he's actually literally in bonds, right? In prison for the confession of his faith. And he says, now you also, guess what? You're bonded together in peace right this is a great place to bring in luther's comment where he talks about as christians we are free from all but bound to one another and because of this holy spirit the holy spirit's work bringing us into jesus christ we are bonded together in this peace we have in god uh, with god in christ jesus we are bound to him and also to one another um, through the this unity of the holy spirit so just a fantastic passage on how the holy spirit creates unity gives this unity to us as we live together as his people
1: any final thoughts on today's study? I know we we we, we made it through in time, but final
2: thoughts—thirty seconds to a minute. Thirty seconds to a minute. Um, final thoughts here is. The Holy Spirit is, gives this gift of, uh, you, through his gifts, the Holy Spirit gives life and forgiveness to us, unites us together as his body, the church. And in next month's study, we're going to start digging into this. As we say, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints. This unity will become central and for, and, and the centerpiece of, of this study next week, as we talk about the church and this communion of saints, which is a communion both of God's people, but also a communion together in the holy things, that is his gifts, by which he unites us together. So that will be kind of the focus of next week's study. I gave you a preview here today with question number six. But that's what, you, what you'll, you'll get next month, not next week, next month. <laughs> I've got a
1: whole month. The Reverend Roy Askins, Managing Editor of Lutheran Witness, the September issue, where
2: can we get the Lutheran Witness? You can get it at cph.org slash witness to subscribe. Make sure you also check out our website, witness.lcms.org to get a, an online feature and then some other, we actually have some great stuff from Ed Rojas where he's mm-hmm. talking about church art. It's fantastic. Uh, Make sure you check that out at witness.lcms.org.
1: Very good. Very good. Thanks so much for being our guest on the Coffee Hour today, Pastor. Thank you again for having me. I enjoyed it. I'm Andy Bates.
0: I'm Sarah Golsan.